welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Albo's most inhuman work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about a new arc, Execution, with Execution 13.1. Um, and so this arc begins with Blake just kind of coming to terms with the fact that he has a new brother-in-law on the horizon, um, as this uh, potential brother-in-law threatens him with a giant knight with a giant lance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, brother, brother-in-law-to-be. I guess. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, there's mentions of like an arrangement later in the chapter and, and stuff like that. We never actually saw what I would say is the important part of, or not the important part, the, you know, the the contractual part yeah. of uh, their arrangement. The terms uh, of engagement, as it were. Yes. Um, <laughs> like we, we saw, we saw uh, Alistair kind of propose to Rose, but mm. we didn't actually see, you know, like, because they're, they're practitioners, I assume even proposals, especially, uh, you know, kind of out, out there ones like this one, yeah. come with a lot of, uh, like, you know, I guess like, well, just a larger contract, you know, sort of, if you do this, yes. then I don't have to marry you type, type shit. A lot of baggage, um, yeah, I, I and yeah. you know, I, I suspect there's some, um, some form of magical prenup that takes place here as well, right? Yeah, presumably. I mean, well, I mean, it's interesting because they'd have to change the vows, right? Like uh, traditional wedding vows, uh, you know, at least like Christian ones include all that stuff about like, you know, till death mm. and all that. Uh, I mean, presumably practitioners give themselves an out. Like they don't get to do that with familiars, but um, yeah. I, assume, I assume they do it with marriages. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Um, it's till death asterisk. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. If you just send them for a quick trip to the abyss, that counts. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's what a uh, divorce is in pact terms. It's you know murdering your spouse and then reviving them from the dead afterwards, so that your vows <laughs> have you know take, run their course. Anyway, so <laughs> so um, this chapter starts off uh, right right out of the gate with um, the bell playing more and more of a part, which is going to be important. Um, yeah, interestingly, Blake <laughs> feels it starting to affect him again. And notices that it makes him want to attack Alistair, but kind of uh, f- realizes this and calls himself off. Yeah, because the the bell had sort of fallen by the wayside a bit recently, and I think this is yeah, like you know the bell was such a big part of of late arc eleven, yeah, early early twelve, early 12 and yeah. then and then it's sort of fallen off, and and I think this is Wildbo sort of you know using it for a sort of sine wave of tension like he brings it up and and it had us all paranoid about it and then he lets it fall to the background and it's like oh you don't need to worry about that and then <laughs> right at the start of this chapter it just starts shooting straight back up yeah yes uh, it becomes very relevant again um yeah and there's this bit okay i don't know what to make of this so alistair basically asks blake oh so since you're here it seems like everything went well at the house Blake's like, ah, oh, nah. <laughs> and then, anyway, it gets to this point where Rose assumes that Blake is here, possibly because of, not because things went well at the house or because things went really badly, but because he didn't trust himself to be around the Cabal in his monstrous form, which I don't think is true. Uh, uh, like, it doesn't feel mm. true. Although Blake kind of was freaking out a bit and, and ran away from them rather than confront any of these thoughts that he was having around them. Um, yeah. But he also doesn't deny this very well from Rose, so I don't know what to make. <laughs> I think I think there's some truth to it. Like, I do not think it was his main motivation. I feel like his, the main part of his instincts was he just had to get away from them. 
But I think part of that was definitely the fact that he probably thought if he stayed there, he was going to get violent. Because if you think back to what he was like in, in 12.6, that, that last mm. chapter there in the drains, um, he was, yeah, he was livid. Yeah. Um, so like, I think, I think the reason he can't fully deny this is because it's not completely untrue. I think that was, you know, part of his motivation. And maybe he didn't think about it explicitly back then, but you know, I mean, that's Blake's MO, mm. um, is to not, <laughs> to not think about things, things at the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, it's interesting to me to think about because he, he doesn't, he, it not, it's not that he doesn't deny it. It's that he can't deny it. He's, he, mm. he, he responds saying, well, it's how it's based on how you word it. Like, <laughs> which is such a non-answer. <laughs> um, yeah. But he also doesn't confront this inside his own head when, when Rose says it, like he doesn't think, wait, was I actually going to attack them? He, he just kind of, I don't know, brushes it off. Yeah, no, that's a bad thought. We don't want to think about those. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, th- this whole conversation, it has so many bits I want to pull out. Yeah. Um, like there's, there's a great bit where he, he starts thinking all this stuff about uh, the various ways he might be able to attack Alistair and how okay it will be to kill Alistair. And then there's just this moment where he thinks to himself, you know, maybe I could just not think of him in terms of how I could kill him. Mm. And it's just like, oh, thank God, you know, he's yeah. still in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, even that bit where, uh, you know, Alistair is, is, is like to him, oh, uh, you know, you wouldn't be here unless the Cabal is safe or dead. So which is it? And it's like, no, neither. Like, yeah, I agree. I wouldn't have thought Blake would be here unless they were safe or dead. But here we all are. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I want to touch on this moment where he thinks maybe I could. So the quote is, maybe I can stop thinking about Alistair in terms of how easily I could kill him. Right. And the important thing about yeah. this sentence to me is it's italicized. Italicized sentences mm. in this chapter seem to have a very specific meaning, which is this idea of an intrusive thought. And I'm jumping ahead a bit in our notes, but I just kind of wanted to see this idea now because it's going to be coming up a lot over the course of this chapter, I think. Um, yeah. The idea of Blake is having thoughts that seem to be separate to his main line of thinking. And I, it, it's... Uh, they're of dubious and uncertain origin. There are some that seem incredibly aggressive, and I would ascribe to to Molly, to the Bell, or maybe to the Abyss. But then there's that 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 first one that we have is maybe I can stop thinking about Alistair in terms of how easy I could kill him, right? And that that's a, a, not a very aggressive thought. That's to me like some core element of Blake's remaining humanity crying out for <laughs> for rationality. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I need to double check. I like I, I I tried to keep a bit of an eye on this after I saw it in the notes, and and I'd want to watch closer, especially at moving forward or, or going back. Like I I think for me the italicized thoughts like that really f- are meant to be thoughts that Blake thinks to himself. Mm. Um, and and like I I agree that you know there, there there's probably more of them in this chapter because there are more things sort of pushing thoughts into his head mm. um so it's coming up more but i think i think i i don't know if the italicized text is indicative of any particular origin of these intrusive thoughts it's more just whenever he has these sort of important thoughts to himself and we start with i think yeah one that's sort of quintessentially blake uh but as we go on they get darker and darker until the end yeah uh, yeah that's fair i mean obviously i'm kind of theory crafting this a bit here but there are like you know blake is thinking things to himself constantly throughout this chapter that aren't italicized right um like the very one of the very next the sentence before the one that's italicized is 
uh, he's thinking about Alistair and whether he's independent, blah, 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 right? Um, uh, like, mm. I don't know. I, the, uh, the italics is there for a reason. And maybe it is just to emphasize that because obviously italics are used to emphasize words and stuff throughout this entire story. But it feels to me like, especially considering some of them and how invasive they seem, um, that there's something more going on here. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it could be representative of an aspect of whatever is controlling Blake at the moment, be it the Abyss, the Bell, um, you know, Blake. Yeah. Um, there's still bits of him in there. It could be representative of one of those aspects making a big push. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think the only other thing I wanted to bring up from this section is uh, we, we talked so much about Rose's clothes last chapter. Yeah. And I think... Only a few chapters before that, we talked so much about Blake's clothes, and we never drew that connection between the two of their clothes. <laughs> yeah, and Blake doesn't yeah. hear, and I was just like, "Oh, uh, we're idiots." Um, I mean, this is so yeah. this is so good. The way we're sort of we almost open this conversation between the two of them with Blake noting how different their clothes are, and we've sort of seen the important symbolism behind both of their clothes, and it really sets up how just naturally opposed they are at this point yeah um and i love this because we have been talking about these clothes and what they mean to the people but it gets expanded out even more when blake uses these clothes to kind of inform a reveal yeah. that he's about to make which is so it's so perfect like it's a perfect example of these these there there being like three layers of hidden <laughs> meanings behind everything yeah it's so packed it's not just metaphorical in text it's not just metaphorical out of text it's also in universe has meaning like it does all three yeah it's great yeah um so alistair basically says to rose hey can i just kill this guy and rose is like mm, uh no but she you know she hesitates <laughs> she she has to think about it <laughs> i don't think she actually explicitly says no i think like at best the interpretation i would pull out of what she says is not right now yeah it's uh, kind of a well just hold off a second let me think yeah. about it <laughs> yeah she basically she, she sort of says let's just talk about it a bit more yeah um yeah i i don't i don't know i don't want to ascribe her too much too much sort of good or evil will for this she's just kind of like no i don't want to rush into things which yeah. is good very yeah very rose very not <laughs> very like rose yeah um there's another uh little bit of italicized text here which i liked and i'm s still kind of going down the read that most of this is molly molly's kind of influence um when rose says would you believe i was actually arguing to keep you alive she asked and blake's first thought is no italicized <laughs> and then he kind of goes <laughs> continues on that train of thought being like well you know whatever um but I just love that <laughs> he defaults to, nope, can't buy that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, because like, I was, I sort of agreed. I was like, hmm, no, I'm not sure I do 100% believe that, especially because as Blake points out in a little bit, like, why is she wording it as a question and all that? Like, it seems so slippery practitioner speak uh, to ask it as a question. Um, but his first point before he gets to there where I agree with him is mm. this whole thing where he kind of goes, you don't get to decide whether I, I survive. I survive on my own terms. It's kind of mm. like, okay, so now we're hating on her for like arguing to keep you alive. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's nonsense. Like, you know, I, you know, only I keep me alive. And so like, look yeah. how you're doing at that, Blake. Um, yeah. You're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the only person um, who's keeping Blake alive so, so far is Evan. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Evan really gets more of a claim on this than Blake does at this point. Mm. Um, so, yeah, again, I think it's just reinforcing this bit, like just how 
naturally oppose these. So like, we were reminded explicitly here of the fact that Blake kind of has to fight impulses. His, his natural instinct is to always 100% disagree with, with Rose, regardless of how logical it is. Yeah. And we sort of see that because his first reasoning is absolute nonsense. And then his second order reasoning <laughs> is kind of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, um, yeah like we're just... There's so much imagery to open this, just sort of putting them on opposite sides yeah. um, so irreparably. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's great. Uh, like, and it kind of continues this thread throughout their entire conversation where, you know, they're having an argument, they're having a discussion, an argument about whether Blake should live or die, really, is the the crux of this chapter. And they yeah. keep going to this place of having some knee-jerk reactions of disagreeing, but then actually kind of coming to coming to some realizations like both for both of them they both clearly intellectually want to maintain a good relationship with each other but they keep having these knee-jerk reactions of oh wait no i can't agree with rose um yeah it's so weird yes it's interesting you framed it as an argument i i don't think i'd actually use that word until maybe maybe later when we get more into the the origin of Mm. them uh but like at this point i actually yeah, I, I, I read this whole thing as like, it was so tough because they I think they were both coming from this same place of they didn't want this. Like, yeah, you can see in both of them and the language they're using that they're trying to find a way to make this work. Neither yeah. of them wants to go along with this. Like, there's a great bit where Blake is like, we need to find a third alternative. We need to find like another way around this. And Rose is just like, how? Yeah. And, and you can just sort of see her, like, I think Blake sort of says that she has this commanding tone to it, but like... It, it, you get this sense that in amongst that there's just this sort of desperation like she she wants to but she just can't see it yeah um and uh, yeah it's so tough because you know as we sort of get further into this so this is jumping ahead a bit but things are just too broken for there to be a happy middle ground here yeah like there's not enough of them for them both to be happy and i mean well yeah i mean they get close but we'll, we'll get there do we think it's fair that rose is already at the point where she can't find a compromise like looking at this looking at what she remembers and what what has happened since she's been out of the mirror i don't know if i think she's put in a fair attempt to reach a compromise with blake like (laughs) she put trapped him in the mirror while she could figure stuff out there's some problems there but it was an okay move and then after that basically the only interaction they've had is she left uh, there was a bit of chatting before the fa- when the family got there and then she left to, to you know, to get locked up. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like she's saying, yeah, we've tried and we can't reach a compromise. But I don't know if she's actually put in the, the effort. Um, I mean, I don't know how much time she's had to. But again, like, sure. I think the thing, the thing between these two, like, the reason it just sort of can't work is because any sort of compromise hurts both of them so much. And I yes. mean, this is why... This is why Barbatorum does this, is because you you like you know it, you literally have to give up some of yourself to make these compromises, and so of course you know eventually one of the pair I won't spoil who um is willing to sacrifice some of their self to do this. <laughs> who could predict um, which one is going <laughs> to sacrifice some of themselves? Um, but it, it, yeah, I don't know. I, I find it hard to blame Rose here because, you know, to make any sort of compromise. And she talks about this when, yeah, when I, Blake weirdly suggests becoming her familiar, which was an obviously <laughs> terrible idea she calls him out on. Yeah. Um, but I do think he was just sort of spitballing. But yeah, I, know, I'm, not, the, I'm not trying just... to blame Rose. I, I You're right. But yeah. it just kind of, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's an, a no-win situation. It is obviously a zero-sum game, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and that's and that's why it's just like 
watching these two try to fight it and just kind of mostly come up empty is so hard to watch yeah um so rose kind of pulls out the uh i'm the i'm the heart and soul (laughs) card um and it doesn't work because blake kind of realizes that he's more of the original than she is yeah um and so oh, I like this because because we sort of talked about the start of this conversation built them so built them up so much to be on irreparably opposite sides, and then mm. we've just sort of seen them fight kind of together. They've basically been working together as much as they can to find a way around this, and then it kind of devolves as any conversation between these two does into them kind of like one upping each other in realness basically yeah who's more real that person gets to decide is basically where they're at right <laughs> yeah and so it's it's just a bit crushing to see this pivot because you're like oh they were like you know they were against each other and then they started to work together and now because it wasn't working we've had to see them fall back to being against each other yeah the thing um, about it to me is rose 100 percent believes she is real and that's what allows her to to feel justified in this, right? Like, I think that's... Because when she... When Blake actually strikes a good point that she might not be the real one, in air quotes, you can tell that it clearly, like... It It devastates her, her. yeah. Mm. Um, No, she's totally been holding on to the the concept that she's the real one. And and Blake already had to go through this not being the case in the trains. And, I mean, we saw what it's done to him. Yeah. Uh, And and so sort of Rose being hit with this idea that she's not just intrinsically a lot more human than Blake uh, is is tough. Yeah. Um, I love the part where Blake says... He says the line, you know, he, he says, You might have the heart and soul whatever a heart and soul are without friends which is fucking ace burn on (laughs) on rose like fuck yeah it's so good and it's so you mentioned in your live read talking about this idea of yes okay maybe rose has the heart and soul but the, the point is like what is a heart and soul if you aren't able to connect with people if you don't have connections which are obviously so huge and packed like why even bother yeah i mean the whole world of pact is built upon the spirits which are just representative of connections between things yeah. basically or, or their embodiments of meaning like this is this whole world this, this whole story in a nutshell is is talking about you know connections and, and meaning and and so this is such a great like i've talked so much about how i was like well rose doesn't have the heart and soul mm. um and i i love this as a sort of reveal that's like actually she does but kind of what the book is saying here is well yeah but who gives a shit like you know that's just a word basically like blake got the results of what a heart and soul kind of give you and that's what's actually important um yes yeah it's 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 a really cool sort of thesis statement i can't wait to sort of carry it forward because it's such a great idea yeah no it it is awesome i I, and i love the fact that like it, it helps us explore how well blake is able to like make friends and stuff right i mean rose has inherited her friendships <laughs> even mm. even tiffany who wasn't a pre-split friend as far as we know um has formed a close connection with blake because of who he is right so regardless of who's got the heart and soul blake has the like the likability i guess <laughs> yeah well i mean it's it's, it's funny because it's led me down this sort of rabbit hole of trying to quantify as much as you can what what does a heart and soul yeah mean in this story um, but well, I guess we, we should come back to that. Yeah, I mean, we'll come back to the idea of uh, of whether Blake needs a heart, because, uh, spoilers, <laughs> by the end of this chapter, he won't have one. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Oh, yeah, it's worth calling out as well. Uh, good job on the uh, throwaway Ross prediction there. Everyone was freaking out when you <laughs> when you called that name out of the hat. Um, yeah, I mean, that was just like, I, I just sort of, I dismissed that one after I came up with it. Like, it was like, that was why I just sort of threw it in the episode because I felt like I should have something. But um, I'm really annoyed because I spent way more time than I'd care to admit trying to theorize what the name was actually going to be <laughs> yeah. after throwing Ross away. <laughs> it was hilarious because you hadn't put Ross in your notes. And so I was like, you had written, oh, I don't have anything. And so I was just kind of like goofing off. And then you suddenly throw out the name Ross. And I'm, I'm just completely <laughs> unable to react <laughs> because you just accidentally hit it on the head it was very funny yeah um, well no i didn't write it down because I, I didn't think it was a good guess i thought it was uh, yeah i don't know um you're an accidental wait. master predictor <laughs> <laughs> um I, I something i do want to bring up though sort of on, on this sort of note is because because as i said i spent probably longer than i should have trying to figure this out um and i so i looked into the name blake a bunch because there was this whole idea of like demons can't really create and and so you know if the spirits are filling in the gap they're going to pick the easiest thing um, so in retrospect, Blake makes so much sense because when I looked it up, the the name Blake has this interesting meaning where it kind of means black and it means white, like mm. not not black and white, but there's sort of two um, old, I, th- I think it was Celtic or, or something, words that sound similar and one means like light and the other one means like dark. And, and so the word Blake in different circumstances means light and dark. And I think that sort of inherent duality in the meaning of the name is so perfect for I mean, this situation for Blake in general, it's it's such a cool little uh, sort of Easter egg in the, in the middle yeah. of his name. Um, so that, you know, and I, I tried to use that to find a, a you know, a, a guess for what the actual name was, but that didn't lead me anywhere. And I guess now I know why. Yeah, I, I love the idea that the name Blake fits so perfectly because it's just the obvious name that the spirits would choose. <laughs> or I guess Barbatora yeah. would choose. Um, or Granny Rose right, or somebody. who is... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I think it would have been the spirits, maybe. I don't know. But, like, I, I love this idea of, uh, like, a name that means both, you know, light and dark, and it, or both white and black, and it's representing someone who is so associated with, with demons, but is such a good person when mm. he, he is one. Yeah, to, um, when he's a person, you mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, really cool. Yeah. Uh, the reveal about the clothes, we touched on it as well, but, like... The, the the way that Blake just pulls out of his ass that because he's got actual clothes and an identity, this is indicative that he is the one who has led, or that the, the life he remembers is more accurate to the life that Ross remembered uh, or lived compared to Rose, who is basically a clone of, of Grandma Rose. Uh, it's such a fucking, it's just such a great <laughs> reveal. I love it. Yeah, th- this is my favorite type of reveal because this is one of those reveals where you're just like, Oh, I'm a fucking dumbass, of course. Yeah. Uh, like, those are my favorite ones is when you get a reveal and you're just like, oh, that was obvious. Like, why, why, <laughs> why didn't I, I think that? of that? Yeah. <laughs> we don't have um, the excuse of, oh, it's because I was reading this book so quickly anymore as well. Yeah. <laughs> well I, I, I'd want to go back. I reckon in around in Arc 7, we probably, like, touched on some of this. Or maybe not Arc 7, but, like, mm. I think at some point we must have touched on the idea that the clothes would have been um, magicked to be girls or, or we weren't sure whether the apartment was actually yeah Rosses at that point but it's just like it's one of those things where i'd just forgotten about it and then you see it and you're like oh it was right yeah there. i um, i think i remember so you mentioning something about wondering how difficult it would have been to if blake was created for you know alexis and all of these people to be created and who are they and all that stuff yeah um, maybe it was while they were in the while they were in while while blake was going through these 
his vision quest in the drains, but it would be an interesting thing to re-listen and reevaluate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's um, it's so great. I love I love things like that that just manage to sit in in plain sight, and you just completely miss them. It's so good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Alistair basically says, "Hey, time's up, Rose. You got to choose. Uh, should Blake live or die?" And it. I mean, she doesn't explicitly say it, but she sa- starts saying things like, "I don't have a choice, Blake. Sorry, but." Mm. And <laughs> so it seems like she's come down on that side of the fence. I mean, I, I. Yeah, I actually don't know if I agree with that because she basically just starts procrastinating it. And I, wait, I would almost phrase it as she's basically begging Blake to provide her with an alternative. Mm. Like she doesn't want to do this. And, and we've just talked about how they've kind of been yo-yoing between being on the same side and not. And when push comes to shove, they sort of end up back on the same side because Rose just doesn't sort of want to do this, but she's a bit conquesty right now to just straight up beg him. So she kind of does it in this monologue way. But yeah. she does sort of be like please like you know find a way for me to not have to do this because i don't want to it's heartbreaking yeah um yeah i i want to pull out this one specific paragraph where blake is talking about how he won't come after her without a good reason and her response is so on point she says whatever's happening to you the spirits in you the degradation of yourself the growth of the abyss within you your head will get twisted around and you'll convince yourself you have a reason which uh yeah he's been doing that this for the past few chapters rose like are you sure you haven't been around because that's really on point and i yeah, love I mean, that even... it gets through to blake it's like yeah yeah even blake is like oh that struck a chord and i was like fuck <laughs> yeah. finally um yeah no I, I love this because they're mirrors of each other right and so they're yeah. so perfectly able to know each other you know the good and know each other's flaws they're so perfectly suited to be able to know exactly what will get through this you know wall of delusion that they both seem to have a little bit (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean it's so perfect um i think i actually joked a while ago that rose should be the one to get through to him um and it's it, it it makes sense in this thing in this time because you know, we've seen Evan get through to him just because there's so much on the same page that yeah. he sort of realizes when there's dissonance. Um, whereas Rose, because they're so um, antagonistic towards each other, it's like when she says something that just makes complete sense to him, it just hits him so hard. Yeah. Um, like it, you know, when she hits him with something that's so true, even he can't deny it, he has to sort of be like, well, fuck, that must be true. Yeah, and, and they're both kind of locked in this mode where they're trying to prove that they're like the one right that they're not mm. they're, and because of that they they are forced to like consider each other's words very carefully because that's the avenue for an attack and so it's such a it's a double-edged sword because if one of them says something on point they have to kind of mull it over and it gets through like they can't just ignore each other mm. um yeah yeah, yeah I, exactly i really like this chapter and how how much they actually land on the same page. Like, it, it actually goes, for now, really well. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was expecting it... You know, we kind of have joked about Rose and how Blake basically hates her and sees her as not human. <laughs> but they both do so well in terms of trying to avoid bloodshed. Like, they both clearly are on the same page about trying to minimize harm from all this stuff and maybe even trying to change the system to, to not be so shit yeah absolutely i mean we we spend so much time in blake's head and rose has done some questionable things that it was very easy to get wrapped up in like fuck rose um the last few arcs and 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 every now and then we get we get our head pulled back out of the water in that regard and this is one case where um you just sort of like oh yeah that's right rose isn't actually just like terrible evilness incorporated 
Um, you know, she, I, I think as well, it was easy to sort of demonize everything she did in the first half of the book. Yeah. Uh, because we knew that she'd been deceptive about the awakening ritual. So we yep. didn't know what was true and what wasn't. And then she was sort of being conquesty for the rest of it. So it was very easy to build this sort of evil picture of her. And this conversation here, I mean, it's the most productive conversation they've had since Blake got out of the drain. <laughs> yeah. And um, it, it just reminded me of kind of what they used to be like in, you know, say, Arcs 3 or 4 when they were mm. like, they really struggled to work together, but they were kind of on the same page. They both did want to do good. And, you know, like, I'm wondering if that's that's maybe why Ross was chosen. This is something I've been I've been thinking about. Like, you know, why not choose Paige or, or someone who, you know, or, or someone like Peter who's shown... Mm. Um, a sort of intuition for this world, assuming like Rose could have sort of picked up on that. Um, and I, I wonder if like, cause that's something they've both tended to land on the same side of the coin on is they both want to do good. And so maybe this Ross person was just such a good person that Rose is like, great, I can split them up and they're both going to be good people. Yeah. Um, I, I and, think and that meant she could count on both of them. Like, you know, she could have the sacrificial one and she could have the, the more calculating one, but still count on both of them to, to, you know, be, to try and do good. I I wonder then what your read on what Molly's role in this was meant to be. Yeah, I'm I'm so not sure that. I wonder if Rose just needed time, like a buffer, for this to happen. I, I don't quite know why she would. Um, or mm. if if Molly was just another, like you know, if if we go with this this assumption that Blake was the sacrificial pawn, Molly is kind of a, another one, but like Molly is designed to get everything out of the woodwork and then once it's all out and about blake comes in and just fucking causes chaos and then rose is left with whatever the aftermath looks like yeah yeah it, it kind of makes me wonder why weren't more why wasn't like Catherine used as a sacrificial lamb as well and I, I, maybe the answer is just that they molly could could be chosen because she wouldn't be easily manipulated whereas i get the sense Catherine and peter would be manipulable by people yeah, perhaps. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard to know. Um, I-, I wonder if we'll get more info on that because I just I still feel sorry for Molly, despite where this chapter ends up. You do just thank God she was just a victim. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Blake basically realizes that he has to make a concession or d- die here. Um, and he agrees to be bound in order to remove himself from being as much of a threat to the uh, to the happy couple. Yeah, and I mean Blake sells this sort of as it is which is why it kind of works he's like this is compromising so much of myself like it's it's such a big sacrifice for him to make fighting the system is kind of the one thing he was still defining himself by yeah uh and yeah i mean you know gets through to alistair and rose because of sort of how true it is it really puts into perspective like rose's sacrifice that she's making here is losing her grip on alexis which sounds <laughs> shitty enough as it is but it pales in comparison to what blake's giving up as yeah. well um i mean both of them use kind of gross language in this way there's a bit where blake says that the people he killed um Ugh, before were nobody significant of, of and i was just like importance wow. yeah. yeah i think it was nobody significant Oy. and it was like oh jesus <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, they weren't even behaved about how she's losing her grip mm. yeah you know yeah <laughs> yeah they exactly they they were just two chumps but yeah you know now we have blake talking about oh i'm 
Oh, sorry. Rose is like, oh, I'm losing my grip on my friends. It's like, you're losing a, your grip on reality. Yeah. Um, like, get some perspective. Yeah. The, the, the word choice that Rose uses is not great. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that Blake chooses Alexis to be the one in control of him as well. Like, I get why, because he still obviously has such a strong tie to her, but... I still f- have this, like, unshakable feeling of Alexis not being trustworthy from the interactions that we've had with her since Blake came out of the drains. Pick Tiffany. For sure, pick <laughs> Tiffany. She's the best. Um, yeah, well, I mean, because the interesting thing about the whole Alexis thing is I'm assuming this is... Be- well, because I-, I agree that I think Alexis has maybe been the least trustworthy since uh, he went to the drains. And I think well, it's because if those two had the closest connection when it transferred to Rose, presumably Alexis is the most pro-Rose mm. of the group. Yeah, Wait, that makes sense. Because, you know, the strength of that connection presumably carries. So I agree, that's probably why she's been the least trustworthy, maybe, um, out of them all. And I don't know if Rose... Like, Rose promises not to influence her or whatever, but I don't know if she can just sort of give up that sort of connection. So I, I think, yeah, Tiffany's... Tiffany does probably seem like a safer bet, you're right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, either of them, though. Like, uh, I, I think we're about to get into the fact he... This is a big thing to ask of anyone because he's mm. basically asking someone to, uh, I mean, sort of adopt him for their life. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. They kind of shy away from the familiar idea with Rose, but it's it's not too far from that with Blake and Alexis. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's why Blake chooses Alexis because he thinks this will be a way to, I don't know, reestablish their, their closeness or God knows. Uh, he- yeah, no, I think I think that's absolutely sort of something in his head. Um, is you know he wants to be close to Alexis again, and that's fair. Yeah. Um, this is a bit of a full on way to go yeah, about it's, getting it's that. Very, but, uh... Uh, it's very. It's all in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I mean, yeah. Well, you've you've got a quote here, and I'm just going to jump in and read it out because it's sort of what we're talking around. Where he um Blake thinks to himself, "It's odd. I'm more nervous about the idea of talking about this with Alexis than I am about talking to Rose or yeah. to Alistair." Yeah. And it's like, well, of course you should be. Like, you know. like alexis is the one you're asking to make like a huge commitment and and kind of a sacrifice uh it's a much bigger deal to talk about this with her Mm. yeah yeah it's not too dissimilar from alistair's random marriage proposal to be honest um yeah yeah i want to touch on that line as well because it's italicized and so to me i immediately think what is this invasive thought and again this is the other one to me that doesn't feel like it fits the aggressive molly nature of, of, of these invasive thoughts, of my theory that these are coming from Molly. Um, hmm. I, I feel like, again, this is Blake's last shred of humanity, right? This is a bit of a vulnerable, nervous moment from Blake. And so to me, this comes from his last shred of humanity throwing in one last little human emotion before his heart literally gets stabbed out of his chest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think we've talked about the idea that maybe these are all the bits of him competing, and I think this might be the last show of the uh, the human part, maybe. Yes. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So, it, it seems to go okay. Uh, Alistair extends his hand to, um, to agree to this deal, and as Blake reaches out to shake his hand, Molly rings the bell. Uh, the bell crashes, <laughs> and this uh, tentative truce is dashed. Yeah, I mean, as soon as sort of Blake started extending his hand and it started going well, I, I had this moment of like, oh, this is going so well. And then you're like, wait, this is chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> this, 
this isn't going to work. Yeah. Uh, and then Molly comes and hits both us and Blake like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Um, the, the vision uh, that we get of her being killed is just this sort of visceral icing on the cake too. Yeah. Uh, as if the, the whole bit isn't sort of hitting us hard enough already. We have to have like a, a death vision put on top. It's, um, yeah. it's crushing. Yeah, isn't it crazy? So Molly uh, basically possesses Blake's body. He has a vision of her death and is left with this uh, lingering sensation that Molly leaves him of. Bahames equal bad, don't make deals with Bahames. Mm. Um, And man, it's so... Like, it it really does get you on an emotional level, right? Like, you feel Molly's... Yeah anger and outrage at the fact that her family is betraying her by allying with her murderer um yeah it's 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 intense yeah um i mean it's it's yeah because it's that thing like i molly's causing so much bad stuff right now yeah but also you can't just like when you take a step back and think about the whole picture but you can't just sort of also just feel sorry for her like she was sort of twisted into this thing that's doing these things yeah you know who she Um, was twisted into it by as well yeah the same person who uh killed her to start with like (laughs) mags come on man you're over two (laughs) um yeah yeah this is just it's it's crushing yeah um and so molly so i feel like so a few chapters ago you you made an offhand comment saying something like oh yeah wow the bell's still going they haven't figured out how to shut her up yet and like that to me stuck out as yeah why why haven't they been able to do that and i think the answer is she just is somehow getting access to a lot of power here like this is clearly a pretty powerful move that she does she basically bloodlusts all the others that are in town with this uh, big bell crash and it's i don't know like there's there's something here that that needs to be understood the reason that is she is so powerful because it, it can't just be mags fed her blood for you know a month or two um yeah i mean i think part of it or, or part of this sudden wave that we get here is her response to blake starting to make a deal with alistar yeah and also there's talk of how the the apple of discord was meant to sort of be keeping the bell contained to some extent so it feels like you know the sort of breaking of the dam uh a bit um, mm. but i agree like she's gone from like what seemed what was a very low-powered ghost sorry a very low-powered ghost to yeah kind of somewhat impressive wraith to like kind of being one of the dominant forces in an already <laughs> overpowered town yes uh, um, it, yeah um i mean assuming she's still getting power from all the angry thorburns i assume that's a pretty juicy well yeah that's um, what i was just thinking she <laughs> we did see a feed off of the negativity of the thorburns and maybe that is just a limitless power supply <laughs> Yeah, that's um, perpetual energy right there. We've we've um, also seen uh, we started to see the human side to the Thorburns last arc. Maybe that is just because Molly is eating all of their shitty negative energy. <laughs> no, or or um, healing the Thorburns is is what makes makes her weaker. What we're not seeing right <laughs> now is that over on the side, like uh, Peter just had a big fight with Kristoff. Uh, ah, yes, I see. Um, I mean, obviously, I think the other th- the other thing is she may be. I, I don't know what the rules are for Wraith, but. She's presumably getting some sort of fe- uh, feedback power from the effect she's having on everyone. Yeah. Um, some sort of positive feedback loop, basically. Yeah, I-, I can imagine that. We've kind of already touched on the idea of how badly have things gone because of Molly over the last few chapters. At 
I think there are some things that will have given us some power, like awakening <laughs> the Thorburns and how much the house siege went to shit. Like, all this stuff to me feels like Molly has had a hand in it. Ah, uh, potentially, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I absolutely love... So, Blake stabs Alistair in the hand, right? Good good work. Yeah. Um, and, and Alistair's like, oh, oh... Oh, oh, good, Blake. Uh, he kind of gets it. Blake's like, no, 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 it wasn't me. And Alistair's like, yeah, yeah I get it. And then Blake um, has He's this so thought. reasonable. <laughs> I know. Blake has this thought of the card of balance and being like, oh, so everyone's going to be left unhappy. Wait, if everyone's left unhappy, then... <laughs> and then Blake gets attacked <laughs> by the knight. It's, it, like, unfolds so perfectly. I love it. Like, the idea of this uh, prophecy being interpreted in the worst possible way ultimately it's just like it's so uh monkey's paw it's so packed yeah well and there's the yo-yo because you're like wow alistair's being so reasonable and yeah. i probably should know better by now but i was kind of like i'm really impressed and this is all still going well yeah and then blake has the thought about wait if that card was balanced and you're like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> uh it's yeah. it's so well delivered yeah yeah um yeah so the uh the midnight as I shall refer to it, uh, attacks and pierces Blake with its lance, and his heart is basically completely pierced, um, destroyed. Seemingly, I, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a of a of a deeper read than is actually literally in the text. But it seems like <laughs> talking about the heart and soul earlier on in this chapter, and then Blake being pierced in the heart feels uh, intentional. Um, anyway, so Blake runs away. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it also gets bits of his spine and everything. He basically gets got, um... Yeah. I was secretly hoping that maybe when the knight stabbed him, his body would go back in time and he'd get human body again. Um, <laughs> Very that helpful. Was, that, was, that was optimistic. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I really like, just, just sort of jumping back a bit to the balance card, like the way Alistair played it. Mm. Um, I really love how... I really like interpretive future sight in stories. Yeah. Um, I don't like when things are too concrete and I don't like when they're too wishy-washy. These cards are perfect for that. Like the way that this balance card kind of shifts meaning as, as our understanding of what's happening shifts yep. is is pretty great. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but, but anyway, uh, and then obviously we have this this knight. Um, I love how it doesn't move. It kind of shifts in time. It's such a fun yeah. little extra detail. Yeah. It reminds me of when we first met June um, and she would like, when there wasn't, uh, when there wasn't, you know, moves in her memory, she would like sh- stutter between poses. I love that mm. idea. It's so other and and uh, and brilliant, especially applied to something that is obviously time themed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm interested to learn more about this thing. I think it's called a construct here, which I assume is similar to um like an incarnation, like mm. conquest, but like you know of, of a more fundamental force. I guess we'll see. I'm like, you know, it, it's about to get hit with the hyena, which doesn't even yeah. dent it. Isn't that crazy? And, like yeah. the hyena cut up, Ur, which is the highest power level thing we've seen in this story so far. Right. Like the hyena is able to fuck up anything and it just completely doesn't affect the, the midnight, um, which I love. It's like, I, and I, and, I know that either Blake is going to have to fight it again for real later, or it's going to be on his side because of the marriage and whatever. But either way, I can't wait to see it more in action. Yeah, I mean, it just it sort of really sells that this is an escalation, right? You know, things are, you know, so as the story is progressing, things are getting bigger and bigger, and this sells that. Like the hyena has been pretty dependable until now. I think the faceless woman is maybe the only other thing we've seen sort of recover from it, but it still did a number on her. Yeah. Um. 
and and so yeah it, it just really does sell this idea of like things are getting bigger and badder as well as we're heading into the next part of the story yeah definitely um so uh molly's bell has um basically caused all the others around town to flip out and they're basically just just attacking whoever they can i mean we don't fully understand the the implications of this but we see some others that were uh on the behame side attacking some behame so it seems like it's a uh, indiscriminate chaos and shit's going down yeah we've talked a lot over the last three arcs about how uh jacob's bell is this sort of powder keg um and it kind of feels like it's just blown up like i'm assuming this is like you know the the final act of gremlins style shit going through the street causing panic and, and trouble yeah um except you know a little bit more violent than gremlins probably <laughs> um i mean that was pretty violent i don't know <laughs> um uh it, it's such a great ending to the first chapter of an arc like it's it's almost the most crazy start to an arc like we finish the first chapter our main character is the second most dead we've ever seen him he's he's dying in a is it, in is a it ditch i don't know maybe this is third this might be third there was the time he was eviscerated by isadora <laughs> and there was the time he went to the drains oh, those are both pretty big deads this is i think third um, third worst death <laughs> <laughs> it's right up there is yeah, the point yeah um and then obviously as that's going on like as he's sitting down to sort of die on the side of the road like uh, assuming you know he's gonna have to get help from somewhere but i don't know where but he's, he's basically about to sit on the road and die meanwhile the whole city around him is just descending into hell and it's just this like fuck this is gonna be an arc and a half isn't it <laughs> yeah um uh, yeah i so execution, I want to touch on execution because already we've we've touched on Molly's execution and the role that it has played in this story. And obviously Blake was almost executed. Like, I just, mm. I, I love the idea of an arc being called execution. And already we've seen two great interpretations of it. And I'm sure there are going to be more. Like, I'm so here yeah. for it. No, you're right. This this arc has already hit the ground running in terms of um, adhering to its, <laughs> to its word. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm very interested. I'm... I know. I guess uh, one thing I'm hoping that we're going to get to see in execution is maybe some more execution of Granny Rose's plan. Basically, mm. like I'm thinking, the, the other the other meaning of execute that jumps out to me is you know to execute a plan. Yeah. So I think I think some plans are going to be getting executed. Maybe uh maybe in all this chaos, people like Johannes and Sandra are about to make their plays. Well, even more specifically, you execute a will, right? Like a will gets executed. Um, oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So I suspect there'll be some uh, some more specifics of Granny Rose's plan based on all the airs and all this stuff. Um, yeah, let's find out. Yeah, uh, that's it for Execution thirteen point one. But uh, we have some great answers to our discussion question, uh, which yeah. was left in uh, twelve point eight. Um, this discussion question was talking about if you were going to change the system, what would you change about it? Um, and we got a lot of people who all had a lot of different ideas about things that they could change. <laughs> Everyone left like at least two or three and they're all great. Um, so I guess we'll just start pulling out some of our favorites. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to start with, I want to start with Brawl97, who was one of the people who, like, uh, Brawl had posted answers in both threads because they thought of more in between, <laughs> uh, and had to jot more, which, uh, was, was like great. Yeah. Um, so, so something they suggested early on was this idea that karma shouldn't just be landing on the head of the the head of the family. Um, that was poorly phrased. Um, but like instead, kind of divvied up between all of the heirs, because then at the very least, kind of as your family grows, you can disperse the karma. Yeah. 
uh so it doesn't you know basically so what happened to blake doesn't happen yeah uh, no i i I, yeah i i like this idea i mean the karma system is meant to be there to punish people who do crazy shit right um yeah and i feel like this uh lightens the punishment a bit which is good for the people that are getting unfairly punished believe me but it's not as good for like crazily punishing the uh the the elders of the family who make the mistakes i don't know i'm a little bit torn on it i think well, I think we're just talking about the hand-me-down parts of the Yeah, car. that's like fair. If, if you do crazy shit, that's all on you. Uh, I, I can sort of stand behind that. But I think the idea is is then it's, it's, it's kind of unfair to lump it all on one child based on, you know, whatever gender or order they're born in. Yeah. Um, not that it's necessarily much fairer to give it to all of them, but, um, <laughs> I mean, if that's the system we're stuck with. And I think yeah. that's kind of like, there's something Brawl starts to touch on is this idea that like, I don't, I don't get the impression karma is this sort of intrinsic part of, you know, the Seal of Solomon or any mm. other part of the world, but it's kind of something that popped up by accident due to general ideas of right and wrong yeah. amongst humans. And it's this sort of afterthought. Um, like, the whole lineage thing, I think, was built up because spirits get confused um, when, like, humans die. Like, they're not used to... They, they can't keep up with mortals, basically. Yeah. Uh, I think was something that was mentioned. So it's like, for me, I feel like karma is something we could probably hopefully try and change more because uh, it's not explicit. It's kind of something that has arisen implicitly and and started to become explicit or has become explicit. Yeah. uh, Isn't entrenched in any rules. Yeah. I want to jump over to something that Sohaibum 7 mentioned because I, I really liked their interpretation of what might be a better way to fix karma, which is base it somehow on intent so if you intend to help somebody by doing something that action yields positive karma whereas if your action is is intended to harm somebody then it tends towards negative karma and this is a probably hard to implement because you would need to be able to understand intent which i don't think the spirits are smart enough to be able to do but it it is a very neat way to ascribe good or bad morality without needing to answer the question of who decides if something is good or bad yeah, and I do agree that it's better as an improvement, but um, I think just knowing people's intentions still isn't enough. Like, like, like carelessness is another factor. Um, that like can come in. You know, like you can do things that have horrible consequences, and you may not have had bad intentions, mm. but you it's maybe true. also didn't think it through. So it's so you know, it's like you do you need to maybe be punished for just being reckless? Um, and like yeah. for Blake's sake let's not implement that too soon or but, somebody um, like laird who is going to kill blake because it will help the entire town and that in his mind is good, intended to yeah. help everybody like you're yeah, right that there's fine good and, and bad it's not a perfect solution <laughs> uh, but then i mean nothing is and, and if you're interested to learn more watch the good place on nbc <laughs> uh, that's pretty much what it's about yes it's a whole story about the difficulties of ascribing <laughs> points of good or bad to people's actions um yeah so so i guess so jumping back to um to brawl 97's answer which which or answers uh uh, so the next thing they sort of brought up was this idea that we've touched on like the spirits like maybe if they could just be smarter that would be better so i think brawl talks about only letting the smarter ones be the judges yeah i who was it somebody i can't remember the name but somebody in our discussion that mentioned the idea of having practitioners pay a bit of like a power tax to the spirits more actively like um you actively have to 
manage a spirit, which means paying power into it, but that elevates it and makes it smarter because it's more powerful. Therefore, it can be a little bit higher level, able to judge stuff. Yeah, I'd worry for that. Like, you know, how do you keep the bias out of the spirit? Um, it'd have to be a careful structure put in place to yeah. not get the spirit's bias towards powerful people. It's true. That's true. Um, oh. But I think everybody basically had some element of the spirits are too dumb. They need to be smarter in their answer. Yeah uh yeah no that's definitely like the the limitation i think everyone started to come up against in their answer is i want this better more complicated system but i don't think i can get it because the spirits are dumb asses yeah um yeah uh so so brawl quickly touched on some other things in their second answer uh number three was to more specifically in jacob's bell the idea of nerfing the demons like yeah everyone's so worried about fighting the thorburns and brawl was like why not just have them like you know sign a disarmament like if we're talking about the nuke uh sort of analogy yeah. just have them do some disarmament burn the stuff and tr- you know is that if that's possible can we do that yeah and i mean actively I kill that... the more powerful demons right yeah so like do something like offer the thorburns some sort of position of prominence and some power if they get rid of all their nukes and i mean i don't know if that would have flown while rose was in power but you gotta think god if somebody had offered this to blake yeah um yeah he'd be oh, keen maybe 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 granny rose's original instructions prevented that like mm. you know i think in all the way back to arc one he had the instructions from her and if he did follow them it goes to the lawyers maybe that's yeah what's preventing that but uh uh yeah i i agree if that if that is an option that could have happened it certainly seems better than where we are now yeah i also loved brawl mentioning the idea of uh instead of having justice and karma be so punitive have some more rehabilitative options um and they basically talked about having something that was like the the night's watch from from game of thrones where you can basically declare yourself bankrupt and go and do community service for a few years to kind of wipe your slate clean um yeah i mean the in-universe comparison brawl made was to where mags is now yeah uh which yeah but in the grander schemes yeah basically what we're talking about is is uh taking the black from from a song of ice and fire um i mean the other in universe comparison that you could make is it's kind of like joining the lawyers but without the um you know the diabolism yes i i think uh because if you're joining the lawyers you're explicitly doing it in service of demons which i think uh, scares people off um yes having a more positive community service uh angle i think would uh, make it more successful yeah yeah um and then i think the last thing bro quickly mentioned was uh like we need more stuff to help newbies like basically more hogwarts Mm. type institutions to say okay you've been introduced to this world rather than just leaving you to the wolves we're going to actually support you and try to make you better yeah um i mean i like it (laughs) it makes sense uh i can see there being problems in the pact versus it stands um with things like taking responsibility and yada 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 (laughs) there are so many systems in this world that reward greed that i think it would be hard to try and take strangers under your wing yeah um but i think i like the idea I think there are options, right? So one option would be something like an apprenticeship, which is what happened for for Diana, um, which mm. seemed to be a pretty healthy relationship and one that that led her practice to be carried on, and 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 you know all that stuff that that seemed to go relatively well. Um, and the other is just like they need a library, you know, they just need magical libraries that aren't like owned. Um, privately, they need government-owned libraries, so you can just go to school, go to library. Get some books, read some books. Um, writing a diabolic tome or whatever kind of tome 
doesn't seem to mean that the author <laughs> has, you know, ownership or responsibility over the person who reads it. So, uh, you know, write books, more books, more public libraries and practice solved. Yeah. I mean, again, it just comes down to this idea of stop being so fucking selfish, everyone. Um, yeah. Although I guess that leads to these ideas of how can we make the system less rewarding to people who are selfish? And, um, and I think the answer is um, is uh, proportional power tax rates. Um, so higher tax rates for the more powerful, <laughs> where they pay in more power, and that power is used for communal goods like uh, like uh, smarter spirits, uh, public libraries, and all these great uh, public works that we can all enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, tax brackets. Yeah, answer. and in fact, that's sort of... <laughs> uh, and that sort of leaves us into Kalsubalu V2, uh, <laughs> their answer. Um, yeah. And obviously, this is something Kalsubalu is a bit of a master of because they're already clearly, you know, it's version two of Kalsubalu. This yeah. is, you know, they're, they're familiar with the process of yeah, operating. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think my favorite thing from Kalsubalu's answer was just get rid of all the bloodlines. Um, you know, they're shit and they're causing so many of these problems. Yes. And, and so many of these selfish cycles we've seen has been built around families and bloodlines. And maybe if we get rid of this, that would solve a fair few problems. Yeah. I think that's something that's hard to implement because obviously family is something that is so important, not just in Pact, but in, you know, the, the real world. Um, I think maybe a start would be a new awakening ritual that needs to be guided by someone that isn't family member so in order to be awakened you need to have some kind of you know some kind of entry point into the world same as now but that needs to be someone who isn't a family member somebody needs to vouch for you who isn't a family member which means you'll at least get some kind of mixing outside of your family and people taking responsibility for people that aren't directly in their family i i I kind of see a way for that to at least put some checks against against like limitless uh you know lineages You'd probably have to put something in to stop, like, conglomerates forming. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do just like this because we've seen a lot of uh, family lines in this story and n- almost none of them have been a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this would also yeah. stop things like Conquest owning the fell bloodline, which was obviously not yeah. great. Um, exactly. Um, so I think the, the last thing Castle Blue V2 brought up that I wanted to point out was uh, this idea that practitioners should, like rewrite others rather than yeah. pushing them so um yeah this idea of rather than just eliminating a bad other trying to redirect or reprogram it yeah and and they used blake as the example which i absolutely loved blake obviously feeds off of fear now but you know monsters ink him make him feed off of laughter and he'll be a force for good instead because the way he regenerates is by doing good acts so you can kind of if you are able to tweak others uh, in order to have them uh, want to and tend towards doing good instead of doing bad that is a self-propagating happy system um, which i loved it was it's such a nice solution and one that seems achievable even within the current setup of pact like i could even see some practitioners trying to do this without any other parts of the system changing and having some success mm, i i don't know if i agree that it's that achievable i mean it may it depend a lot on individual circumstances um but so much of the power in this world comes from history and weight. I don't know if you're going to suddenly be able to take the abyss part of Blake and redirect it towards laughter. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I think that might actually be quite difficult. I think if, if the, if the uh, Native Canadians, I guess it was, who created Corvidae can manifest, take a spirit and amplify it in a specific direction, which was 
mess with the connections between things. It feels likely that that could also be done to take an existing other like Blake and and push him in a different direction as well. Like, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility from things that we've already seen. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, I think it would depend a lot on what it is and what you're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, like, as to how much power it would take. Yeah, um, but it's a lot of good answers in here. So, Blake, take note. Since you don't know what the fuck to do if you do change the system, we got some good answers for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so that leads us into our next discussion question, which we'll be talking about in execution 13.4 this is a bonus chapter this week uh yay Uh, and and our discussion question is which of blake and rose has the heart and soul yeah um i mean what we're really asking here is like what is a heart and soul what does it mean what 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 are the parts of that that matter yeah i i would love to hear some people take more of a hard look at rose saying yes i have the heart and soul and actually get some get some quotes out be like what wait a second let's fact check this let's get snopes on this do you have the heart and soul rose what evidence is there for this yeah yeah um yeah and i like yeah i'm just interested to really explore the idea of what what the heart and soul mean to people because Obviously, I, I've come at this the whole time from this very different idea of what heart and soul means, and now I'm having to... Well, I'm kind of having that challenged by this revelation from this chapter. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to kind of explore that with everyone. Yes, uh, if you want to uh, write your answer to this discussion question, the place to put it is in our discussion thread, which will be linked in the episode description. Yes. And, you know, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and some of the others, they let you review the podcast. What? And when you do that, it helps us. Whoa. Um, and, and that's good. So please do that if you can. Um, you know, come and give us a rating and a review. Other people will discover the podcast. They'll discover Pact. They'll come join the community. That's what we all want. So do it if you can. Yeah. Um, it's a great way to help support the show without having to do any kind of monetary uh, contribution. Um, another great way to support the show without monetary contribution would be to check out our Twitter. Uh, maybe give us a follow. We post stuff about when the new episodes come out. And we also do things like live reads. Um, so if you want to get a sneak peek of the episode before it comes out, the place to go is the uh, at MediaMD podcast on Twitter. Yes. Uh, and, you know, doofmedia.com. That's the website where you go. Mm-hmm. and it's got all the stuff about the other shows on doof um there's a calendar page on there which if you're not in our discord is the is the best way to uh find out when everything's coming out so uh we don't have too much to talk about because the last thing to come out was our other episode but um the exception to that is live reads scott's doing ward live reads mm. i'm doing packed live reads mm. and you can see when those are happening on that calendar page on doof media so check it out yeah there's all kind of great shows on the doof media network uh, do the right thing uh what you say uh we've got ward these are all shows that are coming out in the next day or two so uh definitely go over to doofmedia.com and check them out mm-hmm. uh and i just mentioned the discord that's available via patreon.com forward slash doof media it's uh, the best perk of many that you get for, you know, donating to Do For Media, which, you know, helps keep us alive and, you know, keeps the podcasts online and such. So uh, if you've got the money, please check it out. Yep. Um, if you want to support Wabo, he also has a Patreon. It's just started raining really heavily here. Uh, and the way to make that rain stop is by <laughs> making the universe happy. And the only way to do that is to donate to Wabo on Patreon. So head out, yeah. head to uh, patreon.com slash Wabo. Well, Wabo lives on the opposite side of the world to us, so if you make it rain on Wabo's end, it'll stop down here. Oh, yeah, make it rain, like, with money, right? Make, <laughs> make it rain. I got it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, thanks. That joke, that joke needed explaining. Um, it did. <laughs> uh, so we'll be back for Execution 13.2.
on Wednesday, the 6th of November. So I'll see you all in two days. Bye.